You're about to listen to the Meet Mediocrity Podcast, Season 5, Episode 8. My guest today is Billy Olmachenko. I asked Billy, a good old friend of mine, to be on the podcast today because he is a model for someone who is my age, so definitely not a kid anymore, but someone who is an athlete as a kid and has helped kids for decades enjoy youth sports, find meaning from them, and to have a wonderful youth sports experience that would take them on to their adult life. Ready to hear more about Billy? Let's get started. Hello and welcome to the Meet Mediocrity Podcast, Season 5, Episode 8. Today's guest is Billy Olmachenko. Before I get into Billy, let me tell you a little bit about, you know, how I, my workflow when it comes to the podcast. So, Billy and I had a conversation a few months ago, um, and we recorded that conversation as a podcast episode. I saved it. I saved the tracks of me speaking and Billy speaking, and I came back to it this week, loaded those tracks from Zoom, where we recorded the call. Um, we recorded a video, but I only used the audio. We recorded the call. I saved the tracks. This week, I take those tracks. I load them into GarageBand on my Mac computer, and I re-listen to those tracks, make sure that I sound okay, that Billy sounds okay, uh, if there are parts that need to be cut out or tweaked, I, I edit it, uh, I certainly check for sound and whatnot, and then after I'm done, um, I record this intro, and I record the conclusion, and so what I do is I take this track that I'm recording right now with the intro and the conclusion... I load that up to GarageBand and put it in its right spot, add the intro and outro music, and boom, we have a podcast. I then take that podcast, I save it in a certain file, um, and that file gets uploaded to an uh, application called Anchor. Anchor, uh, when I started, uh, was an independent company. Now Anchor is owned by Spotify. Um, I upload the podcast, a picture of Billy. I upload a summary of the podcast episode. I load it all into Anchor. I take the, the audio file, put it from GarageBand into Anchor, and then Anchor distributes the podcast to all of the podcast platforms, whether it's Spotify or Apple Podcasts or Google Play. Uh, that's where the podcast gets distributed from. Why am I telling you this story? Why do you care about my workflow? I'll tell you why. Because I went back today and I listened to the podcast recording that I did with Billy a few months ago, and I had this huge smile on my face. I was like, I really enjoyed speaking with Billy. And it's just because he's a great storyteller, and he's just a nice, nice guy. So I don't want to steal a lot of thunder, but let me tell you a couple of things. First of all, 
I met Billy probably 20 plus years ago when my oldest child, who is now <clears throat> 31 years old, my oldest child was probably eight. Uh, and his younger brother, uh, so my oldest child was Max. He was about eight. His younger brother, Jake, was six at the time. And they were both starting to play youth sports. And I met Billy Olmachenko because he was, he had kids similar ages to my children. And he was one of the kind of league coordinators and coaches. This is over 20 years ago. Today, Billy is real, still the commissioner of most youth sports leagues. His kids don't play youth sports. He doesn't have grandchildren. At least I don't think he does. But my point is he's, he's helping other children in our community continue to have exceptional youth sports experiences. And he's just an amazing man. He's kind. He's gentle. He cares about the kids. He makes sure that the parents are coaching the kids with the right mindset. Because we know, frankly, when it comes to youth sports, the parents are usually the problem, not the kids. Uh, Billy helps navigate that. Uh, Billy lives in my town, uh, which is um, the Port Youth Association. Port Washington is the town we live in. Port Youth Association is the sports uh, facility, the sports uh, program. And... um, Billy was in, inducted to the PYA Hall of Fame, I think it was last year, the year before that, um, because he's he's just an amazing person and, and amazing with the kids. So giving you a little bit of a preview, I think you're really going to enjoy the conversation. Billy himself was quite an athlete as a kid. He also played Division One basketball at Princeton, uh, played in the NCAA tournament, played a little bit of, of pro ball, pro basketball. Uh, before moving on to um, youth sports and being a wonderful role model. So without further delay, I hope you enjoy as much as I just enjoyed re-listening to my conversation with Billy Olmachenko. So Billy, thanks for being with me today. Pleasure being with you, Mitch. Billy, I told you when I asked you to be on my podcast that when it comes to people who have given to youth athletics, you're my idol. (laughs) And and you really are, Billy, because look, I coached uh, youth sports for my kids. Um, And so when I had kids, I coached Little League. But but you're like well beyond that. You've been around youth sports since the day you finished being a youth. (laughs) You got into (laughs) youth sports. Um, Billy, I'd like to start... um, introducing you to the listeners by talking a little bit about you as an athlete. I mean, you grew up in an athletic household. You, you were very, you were, you were quite an athlete yourself. Tell me a little bit about your, your background as an athlete, and then we'll get into how you got into youth sports. Um, well, my, my father was the track coach at the U S Merchant Academy at Kings Point for 35, 40 years. And we always were involved in sports and it was always a lot of different sports. A lot of it was running. I mean, we used to be, as kids, back then, we'd have our own relay races around the block, which was about a mile. Why? I don't know. But we just that, we thought that was fun. Um, but I think that as a, as a parent who was a coach, he wanted me to participate, and he wanted me to you know, be as good as I could be. 
but he never really pushed or prodded or demanded. Um, only, only once in his life did he do that. And that was um, in seventh grade at Great Neck North High School, junior high school. I was on the cross country team, but, um, not on varsity, but I could have been on varsity because I was pretty good at long distance. Then eighth grade, first day of practice comes around and asked me how was practice. And I said, well, I'm not running cross country. I'm playing soccer. And he's, he, I mean, to talk about an upset adult, he was upset. He said, well, you better be good at it. And I got lucky enough that uh, I guess I was good enough at it. But that was the only time he really kind of questioned what I was doing. But back then, the big difference, I think, in youth sports was there was, there was no organization. You just played with your friends. You go down to the schoolyard, you bring a basketball, a football, a baseball, and a glove, and you jump from one activity to another. And any disputes, you resolved amongst, amongst yourselves. Right. So there was no officiating. There was no parent. There's no one telling you what to do. If there, so was, a, if there was a judgment call, if there was a judgment call, you either had to shoot it out odds and evens or you had to do a do-over. Right. <laughs> oh, yeah, exactly. And, and you, you learn critically who were the future lawyers. <laughs> 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 that's true <laughs> so um yeah but I, th that was again that was then you know that was back in the 60s you know today it's a whole totally different society you know culture but i think you know those are some of the things that as a as an athlete you you did and then going through high school uh my you know i, I kind of played all three sports of baseball soccer and basketball but whenever the season was in was that turn is what the sport i played I always played basketball on the side. And between my junior and senior year, I got lucky enough to go to five-star basketball camp, which was the only showcase camp. And my teammate was Moses Malone. So <laughs> everybody thought I was a great ball player, you know, because I played on a team that won every game by 20 points. But Moses Malone was by far the best high school player I'd ever seen, played against, played with. Right. He's a very unselfish player. So as a result, I, I got um, um, a, you know a, a lot of letters from schools to play, and I ended up choosing Princeton, um, you know, a, a lot because they were a top twenty basketball team and obviously a great academic institution. So I think the combination really suited me and the way they played basketball, a very unselfish style, and a, and a Hall of Fame turned out to be a Hall of Fame coach. Really taught the game really well. I remember. So I'm a very modest. Um, collegiate basketball fan but i always remember princeton being the team that was really great at ball control they were they were a great passing team and by the time they decided to shoot the ball the guy who was shooting the ball was so freaking wide open right that they made every shot was that the style of play back when you were there as well absolutely yeah i mean it was and it wasn't trying to freeze the ball it was really trying to make the defenders defend longer than they wanted to and to your point, you're Zach, absolutely right that we were end up getting easier shots because they got tired of playing defense. Everybody wants to play offense. Everybody wants to score, but who's going to commit to playing defense? So you, so you played um, collegiate basketball at Princeton, which is a big time program. Um, did I'm, I don't I didn't. I didn't do my research, Billy. Um, so how well did Princeton do when you were there in terms of NCAA, whether, or whether it's Ivy League championships or, right. or NCAA appearances? 
Yeah, we won the Ivy League's uh, sophomore and junior year, so that got us into the 32-team squad. Right. Um, and in 1976, we played against Rutgers undefeated in the first round, and we lost by one. Um, we had a guy on the line for a one-on-one with two seconds to go, and he missed. Had we won... It wasn't it was, Billy Omachenko, was it? No, it wasn't me. I, I, I passed the ball to the guy, you know, but, um, you know, I mean, you know, it was just one of those, one of those things. And that was the year that um, Bernard King and Ernie Grunfeld were playing at Tennessee and they were well known. They lost in the first round as well. Um, so we won, um, played the first round that year. The following year, we lost in the first round to Kentucky. Um, and that was uh, the year before that same team with Jack Givens, uh, the Twin Towers, Rick yeah. Roby and Mike Phillips. Um, and we lost at the Palestra. The only time I ever played at the Palestra, they were actually rooting for us. Uh, <laughs> yeah, and, um, you know, there was, but it was just a, a tremendous experience to be able to play in the NCAAs. But back then, it was 32 teams. There was no ESPN. Right. You played. And, and, you know, as much as it was, meant a lot, it's nowhere near the, uh, um, you, know, you know, the passion that it has today on TV. Of course. So, Billy, you um, you had a, a great uh, collegiate career. Did you? I, th- I think you played a little bit after that as well, right? And that's kind yeah. of the, the, I want to talk about how your post collegiate um, experience led to youth sports. So, why don't you tell us about that? Um, I, I spent. I had, I had an agent, and I tried to play basketball over in Europe. Um, I was was born in Spain, so I was had a chance to play, even though I wasn't Spanish citizen. The chance to play there, so I played on some all star teams. Uh, one was coached by Bill Raftery, who's yep. the, the announcer. He was coaching at Seton Hall at the time, and then we played in Italy. And then when I came back, my agent said, "There's a tryout for the Tucson Gunners in the the CBA out west, and the coach was Herb Brown, and yep. that's Larry Brown's older brother. Herb coached in the NBA for a couple of years." So I tried, 60 guys tried it out, and I made the team. Um, and we ended up winning the championship out in Tucson um, that year. But I played with uh, Jimmy Boylan, who was the starting guard with Butch Lee at Marquette. And we've been lifelong friends since then. And Gerald Henderson was the other starting guard. And Gerald's son, more recently at Duke, well, Gerald Jr., or Gerald the father, the following year after Tucson was a starting guard for the Boston Celtics NBA championship. And he played for 13 years. And at that point I realized that I got as far as my, my talent could take me. I mean, (laughs) I mean, they just, they just was the speed um, was was great. But the one thing about playing and what I learned about playing professional basketball back then was the amount of free time you had was amazing. I mean, you would have 10 to 12 hours a day, with nothing to do potentially. So since we were uh, working out at the YMCA in Tucson, I'm 22, 23 years old. I said, I want to start a, a Tucson youth co-ed basketball league. And I did. I got the support from uh, the owner, from the team, and I got teammates to help me out. And we probably had well over 100 kids play. And a lot of these kids were inner city, underprivileged kids uh, that just came in and played. And because Tucson Gunners as their first professional team in the, in the town, it got, it got a lot of um, support and press and, and interest you know, by the people. So you can, you know, it was as much of what, what can I do with my free time? And then when you're having practice and you see all these kids just hanging out at the Y without doing anything, I said, well, let's play basketball. And that's, that's what we, that's what we did. 
That's amazing. And you did it co-ed too. I like that because I'm sure back in the day, there was a much less kind of co-ed and much less women's sports than there were today. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And I, and I, I've always I, I looked at it and I just realized, well, why can't these girls from ages 7 to 13, why can't they play basketball? Right. You know, they should go. You know, that, that's fine. You know, and and you, I think we all find that that the athletic ability between boys and girls at an early age is very minimal. It is mean, very minimal. I've, I've seen that you know over and over again. But it's just more of trying to um, include people who deserve to be included. And if they want to play basketball, then you know I'd say absolutely come on let's play. So. I met you when I my kids started being little league age. So I'm thinking that had to be almost 20 years ago. That's scary. That's scary. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But Billy, we we both had kids, both had kids who were roughly the same age. So you started your involvement in youth sports. when you were a professional basketball player in the CBA. Um, so I'm assuming it probably was a solid 10 years later um, right. that you actually had kids who were youth sports age, right? Right. Yeah. So how did that differ? I mean, there, there's, and by the way, the thing that you admire is I'm admire most about you is how you continued after your kids were done with youth sports, but let's talk about being a parent and being involved in youth sports as a parent versus before that, you were involved in youth sports simply because of a passion and as a volunteer. So, how did that? How did that differ for you? Well, I guess you really have to look at it as to what what are you going? To, what are you going to get out of it personally, and what are you going to give to your your your, your son or daughter um, um, as well? And I always would tell parents who wanted to coach and I would try to kind of sift through and, and since as a commissioner, I like being commissioner uh, a lot is to try to really help coaches coach or teach coaches coach how to coach. Mm-hmm. There are some parents who are great at the sport, but no, don't know how to coach kids age appropriate. And the converse is true. We there was someone who's really good and sensitive and knows kids, but doesn't know the sport that well. So we try to, Combine the two and and teach both the fundamental skills of playing as well as the fundamental skills of coaching. And we we would look at the Positive Coaches Alliance, which back then was a fledgling outfit, and really try to help the parents know that if you are on a baseball field, you are coaching nine kids, one of whom is your child, as opposed to coaching your child and eight other kids. And I have always viewed that as the core fundamental of being a good coach. And you, and you would hold your child to the same, if not higher standard, because there are certain kids are going to fool around. Kids are going to not pay attention and you have to be a little bit of a disciplinarian, but you have to do it in a positive way you know, and, and in a humorous way sometimes. <laughs> so um, I think for, parent coaching your child you really have to look at it and say i have all these other sets of parents looking at me as a coach how am i going to determine playing time how am i going to determine um you know preferential treatment and in equal treatment and i have to look at that first and foremost in order to get 
the parents and the other kids to buy in. And I think that's something we try to do with the coaches, um, you know, is to really focus on on really, you know, um, having them, you know, my, my son's going to play shortstop, bat third every game. You know, it, you know, there's a certain point where you move kids around and give kids opportunities at various positions. And you have to be honest with yourself as to, you know, the, who, where, what should your, your kid do? You know, one of the things you're, you're getting at here, Billy, is what a tremendous responsibility coaching youth sports is. And, and a lot of parents will jump in and they'll just, they won't even give it a thought. They'll be like, oh, I'll do it. Um, but I mean, Billy, I was, I was involved coaching my kids for probably between five and 10 years. I, I don't know exactly how long, but I, I was, I used to volunteer quite a bit. Now I know I took it seriously, but Billy, I saw quite a lot of bad behavior and I'm sure you've seen 10 times more than me, mm-hmm. you know, what, if you, if you had a parent who came to you now with an eight year old child and they just kind of raised their hand and said, you know, I'm interested in coaching, but like, what should I and shouldn't I do? You mentioned some of the things about, about being in the spotlight, but like, what would you say to that parent? Would you encourage them to coach? Would you encourage them not to coach? Like, like, how would you approach that? Uh, absolutely encourage them to coach. I mean, I think that one of the most wonderful things you, you can see is when a child does something on a ball field or on a court somewhere and it's positive and they look up into the stands and they see a parent smiling, you know, or, or have a, a look into the dugout or on the bench and see a parent smiling. I think, you know, that... To me, having a parent involved is one of the most wonderful things you can do. But with that, there is absolutely a responsibility. And you do become sort of a role model for all these kids because mm-hmm. you're a teacher. The same way as you're in a third grade or fourth grade class, they're a teacher. You're a teacher as well. And in certain instances, your impact could be even greater because you're doing something you love, whereas going to school is something you have to do. So being able to really identify, and if someone wants to coach, I tend to make them an assistant coach first and pair them with, with a somebody who I think would be a good complementary personality, someone who is very um, um, aggressive or, 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 or hyper as a head coach. I'll try to have someone who is not that way as an assistant and vice versa, because I think they can learn from each other um, that way. And then, you know, really um, allowing the uh, parent to understand that when you're coaching a game, especially intramurals with playing against kids in your same town, that you're coaching not only your team, but the opposing team as well. Because you have to manage the game and you have to manage their emotions, which means I hate trash talking with a parent. I think that's one of the most destructive things I see in the pros. And nothing good comes of it. Um, I don't want to see it at all in youth sports because I think nothing good comes of it. But there's also a, um, a level of respect you have to have for your opponent. And you have to win graciously and you have to lose graciously. You know, and I think those are the things that you do because you may be playing flag football against a bunch of kids on the other team and you don't really behave well. Now you're coaching basketball in the winter and some of those kids now on your team you don't want to be that guy. That's right. <laughs> so, so it's, you know, those are the things that you try to, you know, uh, make sure they understand that the game is just the game. 
Yep. You know, it is, it is just a game that kids are playing. Well, you know, and it's funny because the kids, so my children, first of all, I do remember like my, my son, Jake, who is a good baseball player. He yep. had, um, they were parents who took, took, took um, baseball so seriously. And, you know, I mean, I must've coached, I'm going to say over the course of Jake's years in little league, 50 to a hundred different kids over a number yeah. of different teams. Sure. Do you know none of them played past high school? I think maybe one went for a college team in D three and never never saw the field, and and it kind of taught me like the fact that these parents are so um, intense, and for what? Like you know, as you just said, it's a game. Yeah. Um, but I'll tell you, Billy, the one thing that has been the most rewarding thing for me, having coached my kids little league, is now they're all in their mid to late twenties. And not only do, do we still have, have great stories to talk about that they bring up, I don't bring them up, they bring them up, but I see their friends and their friends still remember the, the little league experiences. It's a life, it's a life meaningful, it's a meaningful event in the kids' lives. Mm-hmm. I just went to a, the wedding of one of the kids I coached when he was 11 years old, scary. And the mother comes over to me and says, um, can you believe that's the little kid who is scared of a scared he'd get hit by the baseball when he went up to play? <laughs> and, and, and you're the one who had to talk him into like how to hang in there and 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 stand his ground and hit the ball. And now here he is getting married. Oh, yeah. um, it's a wonderful feeling, Billy. It really yeah. is. Yeah. Uh, you're absolutely right, and I, and I think that's the you know the key component. Um, I was on a panel with Fuzzy Levine. Yep. Over, over at the um, the theater here in town, and one of the questions by the audience because Fuzzy Levine was uh, a New York Knicks basketball coach, scout. Um, his his kids, um, um, Neil, uh, Larry, and Andy are good friends of mine, and they you know they played college uh, basketball. And one of the questions that they asked Fuzzy and I was, "When do you know a kid's going to be a college professional athlete?" Hmm. And I, I hadn't thought about that, but when I thought about it, I said, probably fifth grade. And the reason why I look at it is not that they're going to be one, but there is a certain physical attribute, whether they have big hands, the length of their strides, you know, their, their, their nose for the ball, um, their hand-eye coordination just looks to be exceptional. And they have a lot of, you know, they haven't grown into themselves yet. but. Don't make the mistake of saying that, well, if very few kids are going to be at that caliber, you can't have a successful athletic career. Because from my perspective, is not only the memories you get playing in Little League and, and other um, you know, basketball, AAU, whatever it might be, is that your goal as a parent and as a and what should be told to their child is that if you make your varsity team, that's great. If you have a chance to play, that's awesome. And if you start, that's incredible. And if you get the, you know, a chance to play in college, then, you know, that's, that's the top of the hill. So to me, the greatest, the greatest part of the whole thing is being on a varsity team with a bunch of your friends. And that to me is the, it should be the goal of every youth parent and every youth child. Because at that point, you'll find that so many kids who are on what's called a C-level end up beyond varsity where players on the a level 
who've been given all this preferential treatment growing up never get there. No, and that so to me the 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 development of of a, of a kid's personality of of, of overachieving of of um, supporting your teammate all those things all go into a makeup of what you're going to be as a varsity athlete and then you know you know also as you're going to be as an individual going forward my my, my coach Pete Carrill you know was Hall of Fame coach from Princeton yep he said that. Your personality is on display in the basketball court, and it was interesting. You know, but he's you know he, he can he has a very very good point there. Listen, my grandfather used to say to me, "You learn a lot about a person playing around the golf with him." It's the same thing. Um, In fact, I I was actually just playing recently with a client who's been my client for over 20 years. And he remembers to this day a round of golf with a colleague of mine who I will not name because it's not complimentary. um, How he went to mark his ball and threw his mark about six inches in front of his ball and picked it up. And then he putted six inches closer. And um, it was a split second move. But this person is marked as, you know, a dishonest person simply, you know, simply by making his putt six inches closer. So your personality is really on display on an athletic field. The other thing you said that's interesting to me is you talked about um, the kids' athletic skills, but I like the way you talked about the size of their hands (laughs) because um, my son, my stepson, Connor, is a hell of a volleyball player and he was a star in high school. And um when he was applying to colleges, he applied to D3 colleges. He's an outside hitter. And I said, um, Connor, you're a heck of a volleyball player. Why are you applying to a D3 school um, versus, you know, like UCLA? And he said, I, I could give you about eight inches as to what the reason is. <laughs> and I'm sure it was like that in basketball, too. Like you could be a six foot three inch center in D3, but you barely be a guard <laughs> in oh, D1. Yeah. So yeah. size does matter. Oh, no, no, no question about it. You know, and again, I, I remember when Connor first came into town, we brought him over to St. Peter's. That's right. And I, put him, and I made sure he was on a team, you know, with, you know, with a coach and kids, because I made the teams up then yep. you know, that he would be able to assimilate with and enjoy. And I enjoyed watching him because he is that tall, lanky, gangly kid, yep. <laughs> you know, you know, tough as nails, you know, aggressive, you know, with talent, you right. know, but it was just... You know, you, you kind of you kind of look at and you make decisions as to you know what is the best for a, a kid, you know, to be able to you know to do that. And knowing you, and um, you know, and, and you know, we're talking with you before Connor joined the program. You know, wanted to give him the best experience possible, and we were lucky enough to have the right coach to do that. I remember and, that, and you know, and I think that's something that you you know you look at when you make even when you make up teams is to try to find the personality that will bring out the best in a, uh, in a, in a, in a kid. It's a huge deal, Billy. I mean, because, you know, you, you made a comment earlier about the experience that you carry on for the rest of your life. You said you, you made a comment about the player and the adult and, and, and how you grow from there. And, you know, Connor was a basketball player. He's a great volleyball player in high school. He went to college and honestly, he was a role player. I mean, he saw the he saw the court sometimes, but he wasn't a starter. You know, his team won the NCAA Division Three championship. And, you know, he came to me recently and he says, you know, we all won the championship. 
because we, you know, because it really is true. Like the saying that I have right here over my computer that says talent wins games, but teamwork and intelligence wins championships, Michael Jordan. And um, if you put the right coach with the right kid and you put their kid in the right situation, what you're really doing is you're giving them experiences and lessons that they can take on for the rest of their lives. Yep. And and that's that's what you're saying. And I couldn't agree with you more. Yeah. Um, Billy, the one thing I wanted to touch on is you went beyond where I went. And, and this is one of the biggest reasons I admire you is because here we are, my, my children are all you know, between five and 15 years out of youth sports and you're mm-hmm. still involved. Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, so you've been, you've been involved in youth sports forever, but um, what, tell me a little bit about a, what keeps you going and B what it means for you at this stage of your life. You know, what, how do you know, it, it's obviously evolved over a long period of time. Sure. And, and I'd love to hear about that. Well, again, you know, Port Youth Activities or PYA here in Port Washington to me is the best organization I could possibly have joined because their their basic theory and philosophy is about the kids. But there's also in place a, um, a uh, an organization that really focuses on development. You know, and it's not that every kid gets a ribbon because I think that's helpful for some, but you want to create the competitive instincts because as you well know, you know, a career or work is competitive as could be, and you want to develop those competitive instincts there. But you also want to put kids in in places where they can be successful. So it's a a tricky balance at times, but to me, it's just more that the future of what goes on is with our kids. And I really believe strongly that the best way you can um, help is by you know being a positive influence with the kids, and by virtue of that is being a hopefully teach the right way and work with the parents so they too can be a positive influence with the kids. Some of the most well-intended people have the wrong delivery, you know, and you know, and and I think that's important is that you want those well-intentioned people have the right delivery and work with them to do that but it's it's just that Port Washington is such a great community and having grown up in Great Neck which was a great community uh, growing up there as well uh, but here this is a you know, very eclectic mixed um, community and I think it's just such a great opportunity to bring all the diverse cultures backgrounds um, you know economic um, you know, uh, uh, situations all together in one place where you're all equal we were all there to, you know, to help each other and help each other's kids um, develop. So for me, because I have a love of sports, that's a natural. It's a natural way for me to, um, you know, you know, to kind of help and and hopefully give some you know, best practices, if you want to call that, you know, to others to take with them. You know, and again, it's not really lecturing or it's not really. You know anything like that? It's not talking down to anybody, but it's just you know a, a shared experience that I have might be helpful for someone else who hasn't had that yet, but will be having that shortly. Listen, I, I have so many friends. I mean, I'm in I'm in my late fifties, and I have so many friends who love playing sports. And you know, 
there's always a nagging injury or a wear and tear injury. My best friends uh, are basketball players. I stink at basketball, but they're, they're basketball players. And all I hear about is, ah, my knees. Oh, my ankles. Oh, my hips. Like, um, and what you've done. And so they, 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 they're frustrated because they, their kids are, are older. So there's no kids to coach the game. They love to play is becoming harder for them to keep playing. Right. Um, and what you're doing is you really, you're sticking around the game. And what you're talking about is building a next generation of adults, yes. next generation of leaders. Mm-hmm. And that's incredibly meaningful. I, I think that one thing you want to have kids develop is a love for the sport, you know, and that they, whether you're playing in your corporate softball league, or you're playing in the city league with your, you know, with your friends and teammates at whatever job or business you're involved in, that you're doing that, that you're playing in adult basketball at eight or nine o'clock on Sunday morning over at Weber with a, you know, a bunch of guys. I mean, I did that when I was probably up until maybe I was 50 years old or so before my knees gave out. But I couldn't tell you how much fun I had playing with all those guys who were in much younger, much better shape. I didn't care about, you know, what I was then. I cared about having you know, um, fun playing with these guys, staying competitive for as long as my body would allow me. And I think that was, to me, one of my great memories of being in Port Washington personally was playing in those Sunday morning pickup basketball games you know, that were just, um, were, which were great. So I think that, you know, when you're looking at, as you say, I think you're right, the next generation of, of adults, of coaches, of parents, you know, whatever it might be. And, you know, just to be involved with kids and pass it on to the next generation and the next generation that you teach the love of the sport and you stay with it. I think that's, you know, very, very rewarding. So as, so as we wrap this up, what I'd like you to do is I'm going to give you a minute to think about you know, someone you coached, um, someone you coached probably, you know, some time ago and something that you're aware of, either they told you or you observed or you heard from someone that you, you're able to look back and say, you know, I had a little bit, a little bit of influence over that person as an adult or in their future life. I'm sure you have more than one story there, but can yeah. you can you pick one out for us? Um, Dom Masiello. I know Dom. Was, Dom was a um, pitcher for us. We call him the Dominator. Yeah, he's only five foot four, five foot five at the time. Small kid. The guy threw nothing but strikes. And we're playing in summer travel, travel baseball, and he was a good baseball player. You know, you know his you know his size and physical limitations, you know, did not detract from his ability. So, you know, you know I see Dom, and you know now he's my son Nick's age, and you know we always smile, and he, he remembers everyone calls him the Dominator. You know, and and I think you know someone like that, you know, who got everything he could out of his. Um, ability and his love for baseball, you know, to me, I found very rewarding, you know, and I think, you know, those are things like that. And the other person on the other spectrum uh, was kid Ryan Goldstein. I coached Ryan um, in, in basketball, you know, for, for many, many years. And he's probably my favorite player because his level of ball handling skills was tremendous. His court vision was tremendous. And I was able to teach him advanced um 
um, basketball looking at the court. But what amazed me was um, we had a game where there was, it was late in the game and there was a loose ball and he crawled on his hands and knees and got the ball and called time that. I mean, for someone at age 11, 12 years old to care that much, you know, about that and throwing his body in there, um, you know, to me was one of the most you know, amazing things I'd seen, you know, because it's unexpected for a kid. Right. Can you imagine watching an NBA player do that today? <laughs> <laughs> Their agent probably told them not to. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Don't hurt yourself. You'll screw up your next contract. <laughs> exactly. exactly. Yeah. Um, well, Billy, look, I've, I've wanted to have you on the show for a long time because I've admired you for a long time. Um, right. Thank you for being on the podcast, but also thank you for all of your work with the the kids. Like you yeah. said, the fact that you not just coaching, but also organizing leagues all the way back when you're 23 years old, but also like when I was a coach and you were the commissioner, making sure that you were putting these kids in a position to have the best possible experiences. Right. So they can remember them for the rest of their lives and draw on those experiences in adult situations. Yeah. It means a lot. And, and frankly, I really um, appreciate the fact that um, whether you are right out of college, like you were, whether you're a parent of young kids who are in youth sports, mm -hmm. or whether your kids are older, you can still stick around youth sports at any age as an adult and have yeah. an impact. Yeah. And, and I, I look at it and I say, you know, my three kids, Nick, you know, played 12 seasons of sports in high school. Um, Nate, um, you know, had played basketball and lacrosse. And Maddie, my youngest, she was on the C team for CYO and ended up being a starting center on varsity. And she, used, she ended up being a scholarship athlete rowing crew at UNC. Yeah. So where does she get, you know, you know um, rowing and things like that? I think she got that through her friends and through Port Washington and through the competitive nature that she got to get there. Cause I certainly wasn't going to teach you how to row crew, <laughs> you know, but the same way your father wasn't going to teach you how to play soccer. Uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you know, so I, I, again, I think, you know, I, I, you know, I appreciate your kind words and I, um, you know, again, I think I just uh, love being around kids and love, you know, seeing, you know, seeing the smiles on their faces and, you know, smiles on parents' faces you know, all the way through. And, and I really appreciate you know the opportunity to be on, on the uh, you know on the podcast with you. All right, Billy. Thanks again. I appreciate it. Take care. Thank you, Mitch. So there you have it. There's the wrap up with Billy. And you know I forgot to say in the intro, but I do want to say it now. There's another reason I love Billy. Not only is he great with kids, not only did, was he great with my children. His wife is amazing. So his wife, Tanya, is an interior decorator. And my kids would say, Dad, an interior decorator is bougie. You don't need an interior decorator. Well, let me tell you something. I am hopeless when it comes to figuring out, when it comes to figuring out where to get um, furniture and how to match furniture and how to make furniture fit in a room. A, I, I'm not good at it. B, I've got no patience for it. Uh, Tanya has done that for me, Billy's wife, and she has really done quite an amazing job. Uh, and she's got a lot of patience with me and a lot of patience with my wife, Meredith, because we are not good at this. 
Um, but she is, and she helps us quite a bit. So uh, I'm I'm wrapping up this podcast with a little plug for for Billy's wife Tanya, who is phenomenal when it comes to uh, finding the right furniture for your house. But let me skip back to Billy because he's the highlight of this show. And Billy, you know, he's a great storyteller. You could tell that he he ran in circles with a lot of famous basketball players and a lot of famous basketball personalities. But more importantly. He devoted he's devoted decades to youth sports and making sports accessible and enjoyable for our children. And he's also been a role model for parents who don't always know how to behave when it comes to youth sports. Um, he, his calming personality gets parents to just kind of like take a breath, realize that their kids are not necessarily uh, trying out for a pro sports team. They're playing a game. They're having fun. And parents need to act accordingly. So anyway, um, again, you've enjoyed Meet Mediocrity. I hope you've enjoyed Meet Mediocrity Season 5, Episode 8. Um, I would ask you to continue to follow Meet Mediocrity on Instagram and Facebook. I would ask you to like our comments. I would like you ask you to send me any messages with ideas or thoughts about the podcast. I'd like you to continue to stay warm because it is freaking freezing here in New York. And um, please continue to stay safe and stay healthy and keep smiling. Take care, everyone.